invitation to gather actually leads us eventually to that place. And, it's, and the table as well is the primary way we respond to hearing both the written word and the meeting freshly again with the incarnate word who's always amongst us. And then the table, lastly, as we remember what he did for us and that we are all equally needy around that place and all equally welcomed, it's the launching point for our sending as we take the kingdom to all the places we go, calling us afresh to the mission that God's gift to us. So um, as we should occasionally do, I just want to highlight the table this morning, communion, Lord's Supper, um, whatever we might want to call it. Um, and I'm not covering all of it, just one aspect of it. There's all sorts of, just like everything else, there's all different depths and layers to everything. And I just want to highlight um, just some of it this morning. Um, recall some of what should be coming. I know as, as a kid, I used to sit there going, so what am I supposed to be thinking about? Because whenever the community thing, I'm like, I'm supposed to, either I'm supposed to feel bad or I'm, I'm supposed to um, feel repentant or I'm supposed to feel something. I was always trying to figure out what am I supposed to be thinking and feeling? And um, really, I, I would encourage us not to worry about that uh, because there are so many things that can come to mind. We can sometimes just come up here and just take it and just, this is a very act of taking it and acts the gospel in a visible way for us to see, and it impacts us. So, but we want to look at part of what it's about, part of what maybe should come to our mind and heart as we gather around it. And I'm really kind of doing it in a devotional style this morning. So just a brief little overview of that, and then we will take our time to gather around it um, this morning. And we're going to do so using the key phrase from what I read in 1 Corinthians, which is, do this in remembrance of me. If you grew up in a church like I did, they had a big, huge wooden thing up front of the church, and once a month, they would have the gold trays on there with all the stuff in there. The rest of the time, it just sat there. But it always had those words etched in the front, do this in remembrance of me. And you walk in every week, and you see those words. And that's because that's what Jesus said. He said, when we do this, in some aspect, we remember him. We want to think about what does that mean. So I just returned on um, Wednesday, Tuesday. I can't remember anymore. Tuesday, from my old vacation time um, back in uh, um, back in the Midwest, that included time at the very center of the universe, which is Wrigley Field in Chicago. Um, but most of my time was in West Michigan, um, which I spent my summers there, and uh, first couple years after college, um, spent my time there um, along Lake Michigan. Both my parents grew up in Michigan, and uh, so my son and I uh, took time and we visited my mom and dad's grave, which is at a little cemetery by the Muskegon Airport. Um, it's interesting that the gravestones around are all their friends of my parents, of my friend's parents who have all passed away at this point. And I'm like, oh, there's Mr. DeBrian over there, all these different people. But um, my parents, and they <coughs> went and looked at the gravestone. And I don't know if you've ever done that. You stand there, and you, all sorts of things come to mind. Um, and my son with me, and I stood there and looked, and um, I remembered. I remember things. Um, experiences and memories um, and freshly experience what it means to miss them because something becomes very tangible that they're not there any longer. When we talk about remembering here, it's actually something much more than that. Not just having memories and thinking back. It's something much different than that. It's part of it, but Jesus' word that he uses when he says, remember me, conveys much more. Remember the uh, the the uh, Lord's Supper, the meal that Jesus prepared for us, was part of the Passover meal. Um, and Jesus took that and, and shaped it, which was originally intended to, 
to point to him. And it was never, even the Passover meal was never just a look back. It was always something more than that. It was not just to recall an event, but it always brought forth some very present, tangible implications for that moment and for that day. That was supposed to, for the Israelites, it, their reviewing of it informed their very identity. Who are we as people? And every time they do the Passover, they would remember it. It wasn't just that happened a long time ago, but it impacted the present. The word that Jesus uses to remember him refers to reflecting on an event, and in this case, it's, it's on an event and the one who is at the, part of, at the very heart of it, Jesus. But that reflection is not just reflection. It's a remembrance that informs and shapes and penetrates the present and then presses us for tomorrow. So it's a remembrance of something that happened, but it informs and shapes us today. It's meant to be brought forward, in a sense, that impacts us in that moment. It's a remembrance that is joined with the, the very real presence of our triune God who's gathered us here, right here this morning, right now, in this moment. And then we're sent afterward, impacted, shaped, and restored to who we, we were made to be because of the cross. We remember, because we forget all week, don't we? As we gather around the bread and cup, we, we reenact the whole gospel message as we remember. And so I want to just offer, and there's more than this, but I'm going to offer just six things to remember. The six things that I think God desires to bring forth, even as we gather into this moment, as a present reality, not just something we think of long ago. And there, it's a remembering that should bring impact, it should bring worship, and it's supposed to bring action when we go outside these doors. So, six things. Number one, remember what's the most obvious. Remember Jesus, right? Um, our key value, our, our first one is Jesus is the center. Jesus says, when you do this, remember me. So we remember Jesus. We always talk about it. He's the, interesting, Jesus is the host of the meal, right, who set a place for us. But he's also the center of the meal as well. Our faith is first and foremost about, and, and this is almost, should be unthinkable to us when we sit there and think about it at this time, that we are in a relationship with the God of the universe because of what Jesus did. That he came here, that one, looking for us. He came here uh, seeking out his bride. And it's all to be about him. Old song, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living, whatever men may say. You guys remember that song it's from long ago? Not that long ago, actually. Depends on what long ago means to you. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. The, the table remembers that it's not just someone from long ago, but Jesus is present and here and amidst us today. The fly's getting it, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> we don't hang on to, we don't come together week by week and hang on to some generic idea of a God that's out there somewhere. Or follow some sort of just religious framework, but we follow a person, and the person's name is Jesus. He walked here, and when we try to think of what is God like, he's tangible, we can, we can see him, we understand him, we, we can read about him, we can read a story of what he did. He knows us. In the early church, they would gather and have a meal, and they'd remember, and I'm sure they would say, do you remember Jesus did this? Remember he did that? Remember when he said that? I had no idea what he was talking about. And they would talk about him. They'd remember him. But it always 
brought him into the present because Jesus is not dead, he's alive. He's risen for us. It didn't just look back, but as one who lives today. For Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father, and the more we know him, the more we know the Father. So we gather around the table, and quite simply, what? We, d- we remember Jesus, right? Because we forget all week long. Because we don't see him, we can't touch him. We come back again and remember him, and it changes everything. Second of all, we remember his sacrifice. He said, remember uh, my body given for you, and the cup represents his blood that was poured out. Recalls the new covenant. The new covenant came through the shedding of blood. There's no way around it. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It was the necessary path that God had designed for us to be won back again. A sacrifice had to be made. Ephesians 5, it says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We should be kind of dumbstruck that the God of the universe would come and be a sacrifice um, to give his life. And every time we come here, it should kind of like, really? How, how? God should never have had to do that, right? The last person that should sacrifice anything is God who rules everything. And yet we come around the table and remember the God of the universe sacrificed himself. Jesus himself, scriptures say, became the Passover lamb, bearing the full weight and the penalty and everything that was demanded for salvation, whatever that looked like, and we just have a piece of it. Jesus came and bore that whole thing on our path. The creator of all things took on our body, it says, became in the likeness of men, and he took on our sin, and he chose and freely died. And so when we gather up here, um, we just have grape juice from Safeway, right? But it reminds us Jesus actually shed blood, poured out for us, uh, ran down the cross on our behalf um, as a sacrifice for our sins. And remember that the, the God who rules and created and reigns today came here. And he walked with us and he came for the purpose of giving his life for us. To remember Jesus, we remember um, his sacrifice, and we remember because of the sacrifice, we remember our rescue. Remember his sacrifice that it actually, actually brought about salvation for us. He died, and the good news is he died for me and died for each of you. Our rescue was effected by, as we've talked about before, God makes these covenants with people over and over again, and they fail to keep the covenant. So finally God says, I'll go down there, I'll make a covenant with the people, and by the way, I will keep the covenant, I'll actually keep it for them, because they can't do it, and he enacts it by his blood for us. So we become covenant keepers. Why? Not because we're good at it, but because Jesus kept the covenant for us, on our behalf, so we could be rescued. And we get all the blessings of the new covenant are given to us in a moment that he changes us. Ephesians 2 says, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, says even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, can't do anything. By the way, when you're dead, you need rescue. There's nothing you can do, right? Someone's got to come and get you. He made us alive and brought us together with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf 
so that incredibly we become the righteousness of God. We give nothing but sin and loss and deadness. And we get rescued, and when we get rescued, we're not just standing there, but we actually get clothed in the full righteousness of Christ, become new people of a new covenant. First Peter 3, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us, restore us to God. Part of the gospel is that we were dead and lost and drowning in need of someone to step in and do something. And God does that. We are in need of rescue. This past week, um, when I was in Michigan, I walked down the beach and walked past a little um, cottage on the beach that's kind of made of lots of stone and been there forever. Um, and it was in that little place that 55 years ago, I knelt down at a, in front of a fireplace with my mom and, and, and gave my life to Christ and was changed. The, the, the very um, the work and sacrifice of Christ all of a sudden became effective in my life. I was rescued, given a new identity. The cross, we look back and remember today what, um, what he's done for us. And remember what he did for each of us now has changed everything because it changes who we are today. We become new people. So the question comes, do, do we remember what he did for each of us? Remember our rescue. Next, remember our daily need for him. If we needed rescue then, Paul says, we need rescue all the time. If we're saved by grace, we have to live by grace. If we can't do it our own salvation, we can't live on our own as well. Paul reminds us, as I said, that not only do we come to Christ by grace, but we must live each day by grace. Jesus said, give us what, our, this day our daily bread, right? Each day, just what we need. The implication of that is he doesn't give it. We don't get it, no matter how hard we might think we work for stuff. And that it's us. God's the one who grants what we need. Like the Israelites in desert, God said he, he, he led them in the desert for 40 years. The scriptures tell us that he let them be hungry in order that they would know that they don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That they would know that everything they have comes from God's hand. So that they would trust him and that they would not trust themselves. So we... We do this every week, right, here at the church. You know why? Because it, only takes, it actually only takes like a day. But every seven days, I have forgotten that. And we live self-sufficient lives, and we, we begin to think it's us and that we're making it happen, and we can do all these things. And so we come back again every seven days, remember, I can't do it unless God's doing it. And if he's not in the middle of my day, this day is gone. And so we come around the table over and over again, remembering from John 15, abide in Jesus, divine, why? Because it says apart from him, we can do nothing. And that's just, that's, that word gives us no leeway, by the way. We think the very breath that we get, everything comes from him. We should come to this table confessing our self-sufficiency, giving thanks that he's brought us through another week and then praying Lord, I, I eat this bread and I drink this cup. We're saying that there is no nourishment without him. Without him, we will be famished. There's no life outside of you. And as I said, if you're, if you're not in the middle of our week, um, there is no hope for us. And the good news is the table reminds us, guess what? He's a covenant-keeping God. He's always there every single time, keeping his promises. And the table, then, as we come to it and say that, 
remembering, gosh, I need him. If he doesn't at work in me, nothing will happen. The table is my reminder, guess what God does? He did. He always responds. He always gives. He always pours out all the way to the point of death and that he is with us. Next, remember our daily need for one another. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Um, we, we often say, we have, we have one loaf, well, there's actually two up here, but they're a whole loaf until you break it, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a picture, of what Dave was talking about, of the body of Christ in unity with one another. And so the, the table is a communal event. You can take communion at home on your own, and I've done that before, but it's meant to be a communal event, us as a church to come together. As we often say here that we are all equally needy, we're equally invited around the table. There are no special seats here. We've all got one, and it's got our name on it. It's been set for us. And whether during our time of singing we take the bread and the cup, whether we come up individually or with others, we are here together. We do it together. We gather around this every Sabbath morning as needy people who have been rescued equally and adopted into the same family. As I said, the symbols are one whole loaf and just one cup because we are here together as one body. The kingdom of God can only be demonstrated in unity with one another and in a recognition that both his work in the world and his work in me happens not only in dependence on Jesus, but in dependence on one another. Every time we come around to remember that we are not individuals, we are part of one body. And just as I need Jesus, we need each other, because that's the way God has designed for his work both in us and his work in the world. And I've confessed this so many times to you guys, it's, it's, but it, it still keeps happening. I can be so individualistic that we forget we are in desperate need of each other. We cannot grow, we cannot demonstrate the kingdom, we cannot be the people that God meant for us to be except in partnership with one another. So we come around the table, equally needy, we take this one piece of bread and we all share and we dip in the same cup together just as a, a pictorial way to remember we need each other, we need each other. And the disciples, I think, did that as well. And then lastly, finally, at least for today, we remember as we come to the table our mission. We remember our mission. We, uh, Jesus said we, he's, we come around and we do this. We come to this table. What do we do? It says we proclaim his death until he comes. There's a proclamation that happens as we gather. Jesus, as he spoke to disciples, said that he wasn't going to drink the fruit of the vine, implying that he wasn't going to enjoy this thing until you drink it with the disciples in the final kingdom. So we gather every week and remember, and the remembrance launches us into mission, descending. And we remember the kingdom of God is here. We've said it before, but guess what? The kingdom of God is not yet. It's both here and not yet as we look and wait for it to finish its work in the world. And it sends us this table in our world to manifest and to demonstrate his kingdom, because we get a picture of what the kingdom is about here every single week. And then we take that and we show it to the world. 
are very active, eating the bread and drinking the cup, um, Jesus says is a proclamation, both in word and in deed. Um, even if you just come up and you're just taking that bread and you dip it in, when you're doing that, you're proclaiming something, that something has happened, it's, it's changed everything. And you take it in and you've made it part of yourself. Through word and through symbol and in demonstration of unity together, we enact the gospel. And as we do it, we get shaped a little bit more by it. We become more gospel-shaped people. And then we carry that out. We get, um, we get swept up in a lot of things in the course of a week. Lots of good things and some things are not so good. Causes and missions and all different kinds of things that capture our attention. Our primary mission is to demonstrate the kingdom of God, to be gospel-shaped people that let people know what he came, what he did, and what he's going to do. That God came and he created and he designed a life and relationship for us. That's what we were made for, in relationship with him and with relationship with one another. And then the fact that we, we rejected that part of the story, that we decided we we're going to build a kingdom of our own, and of our own design, which had horrific results. And so God pursued us to, to rescue us from those results, results of building our own way. And then he came here, the story says, in our likeness, and he demonstrated, and he brought his kingdom, he declared it, and he showed what it looks like. And then he made a way for us. He gave his life and opened the gateway for us to actually be part of that kingdom, to become restored to what he, we were once called to be, to be joined once again with his kingdom. And then he rose from the dead, it says, so he lives in us today. The scriptures tell us that it's not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And now today he's working in us through the Holy Spirit to bring his kingdom and the good news to a world that is perishing and that is still functioning on these self-made kingdoms that bring such ruin. And the table reminds us that he's going to come again and that no matter how discouraged we might get sometimes, he's not done with his work. But he's made a promise, and the, the table reminds me that God keeps his promises, and he's going to finish his work and complete it in our midst. Listen to these words again. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At least if you could bring the other music leaders up front. Uh, the meal here, we call it a meal. Um, it's a means by which to celebrate. As a reminder to us as a church, and if you're visiting this morning, every single week we remember and celebrate the reign of God, and to remember that we are a people who live in and have been united with him in that reign. Doesn't it seem strange to something as incredible as the arrival of God to give himself a sacrifice and bring this renewal to the world, the, the, the most incredible event ever gets pictured on this little simple table and some bread and some juice, um, and yet somehow that strikes this contrast to all the way the world wants to solve those problems. This most important event, the, the one and only hope for our world, 
gets pictured week by week in some bread and juice on a simple table. As our world strives for other ways to answer the deepest questions and meet the deepest needs, as happens to almost all of us, I think, every week, we get pulled into that other things. We find ourselves seeking satisfaction for our souls in something other than God. So every week, this table, these simple symbols of the body and blood of Jesus, they stand in opposition to all that. They tell us of another way. And they boldly attest week by week that only God can satisfy the deepest longings of our lives and the great needs of the world can only find resolution in an old cross and an empty grave. If you're visiting today, the table is open for all those who have put their trust in Jesus. Here at the vineyard, we we break off a little bit of the bread and we just we dip it in the cup. We have three stations here um, in the church that you can use as we sing. Um, and feel free to be who we want to be, to worship. Um, if you want to kneel up here, if you want to come to the cross, if you want to take time and pray with your friends around the table, this is, this is our time as a body with the Lord as we sing and as we come forward. So as a as we sing, I just encourage you to come forward and partake. Just hear these closing words. These are from a, a song called, O Glorious Instrument Divine by Charles Wesley. It says, O glorious instrument divine, which blessings to our souls conveys, brings with the hallowed bread and wine his strengthening and refreshing grace, presents his bleeding sacrifice, his all-reviving death applies. Glory to God who reigns above, but suffered once for us below, with joy we celebrate his love, and thus his precious passion show, till in the clouds our Lord we see, and shouts with all the saints, tis he. Amen.